It is another blessed opportunity that we've each been given this Lord's Day morning. I think as Brother Lester stated it a moment ago, with things being a bit cool outside, and yet the fervor and fire and joy that associates to the Word of God, so abundant and plentiful in here, the classes we've enjoyed earlier in the Bible study hour, the songs that we've just sung, the prayer in which we've engaged, and now an opportunity to open the blessed Word of God. Is it any wonder that the psalmist was able to say in the distant long ago past, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go up unto the house of the Lord. Let me again say how thankful my family and I are to be back here at Pippin this morning. The gospel meeting that took place at the Stone Congregation last Sunday through Wednesday went very well. Certainly appreciative for your prayers and your kind thoughts along with us during the course of that meeting. I know Brother Jonathan did an outstanding job as he delivered the lessons last Sunday and very thankful and appreciative for his talents as well as all the men that so capably, eagerly, and ably fill in from time to time here in this pulpit and otherwise. Today, as we come to a consideration of a lesson entitled, A Prepared Place, you may have noted that the reading just a moment ago took us to a place that you might have not been expecting, Matthew 25, verse number 41. Might I invite you to begin to consider that with me, with these thoughts on this slide. Isn't it amazing from time to time how that the Bible, as we so eagerly and so interestedly give thought to what's contained in it, isn't it true that from time to time we lose sight of what a precious blessing and gift it is? After all, just think of it like this. How would you and I have any idea about the plan of salvation unless God had told us? How would we have any idea about the glory and majesty of the church unless He had described it to us? How would we have any concept about heaven unless He had told us? How would we have known about His will unless He had revealed it to us? Again, the very nature of the Word of God. How would we know about hell and the way to avoid it unless He had given us those instructions? Is it any wonder then that as we reflect upon the nature of all of that revelation it does bring us to some of the thoughts, as you'll see on that slide. Heaven is described quite often in the Bible as a prepared place, a place in which the Son of God is actively making ready for those that are the faithful. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus himself expressly said, I go to prepare. Heaven is a prepared place. And therefore you and I must prepare ourselves to be a part of that glorious and wonderful location. But you'll notice there's another prepared place as well. And it's that other one that's the subject of our study this morning. In Matthew 25, 41, again, Jesus speaking, He said there's another place that is actively being made ready and a place of preparation. It's a frightening place. It is a terrible place. It's an awful place. But needless to say, we need to know, know about it and understand it so that we can make sure that things are proper and right and we will not end up here. I would invite you to study with me Matthew 25, 41 for the context of the lesson this morning. As we do so, and as is often significant, let's build up to that by giving thought to the context in which that description is found. 
Matthew 25 is a rather pertinent and powerful set of verses. We notice, in fact, it comes as an answer to a question that the Lord was asked. In Matthew 24, verse number 3, Jesus Himself, you see, was asked some questions. First of all, there was the matter of those stones in the Jerusalem temple. And Jesus Himself, although the people were thinking that was indestructible, although they thought that that temple couldn't possibly be destroyed, Jesus said, I'm telling you, in this generation, not one stone will be left on another. Matthew 24, verses 1 and 2. Those disciples that heard the Lord say that were so overwhelmed by wonder, so overwhelmed in virtual disbelief, that we noticed that there were four of them. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. We learned that they came to Jesus and asked Him privately, Lord, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of Thy coming and of the end of the world? They asked Jesus these very penetrating questions. We want to know, when will this temple be destroyed? And in fact, even one better than that, we'd like to know about the end of time. When they came to Jesus and asked that question, those questions, He proceeded to answer them in order. And so it is. In Matthew 24, beginning in verse 4, He he answered the first question. When shall these things be? When shall this temple be destroyed? He devotes the next 31 verses to providing that answer. You'll notice in verse 34 of that same chapter, He says, This generation shall not pass away until all these things shall be fulfilled. The strange thing is, there are many who have used Matthew 24 in a very inappropriate way. They use the first part of that chapter as if it's describing the end of time when it isn't. It's that first set of verses when he talks about wars and rumors of wars, various and sundry false Christ, any number of other things, and multitudes are those today that stand and say, all the signs are here, time is about to end. Jesus didn't say anything of the sort. Earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars won't won't herald the end of time. In fact, all of those signs were given for the coming destruction of Jerusalem, and that came to pass exactly as the Lord said it would. Beginning in verse number 36 of Matthew 25, or rather verse of chapter 24, the Lord proceeds to answer the remaining questions. We notice there Jesus said there will be no signs. It's not possible for some scholar or some other individual by studying Daniel or some other Bible book to figure out when time's going to end. If Jesus couldn't figure it out and the Lord said there will be no signs, then it is foolish on the part of any human to think he or she can somehow discern the signs of the times. You will notice in Mark thirteen thirty-two, Jesus expressly said, But of that day and that hour knoweth no man. Neither the Son, but the Father only. Even Jesus, while He here tabernacled in the flesh, did not know when that day was going to be. Isn't it significant then that as you and I reflect on this teaching, this very description of Matthew 25, 41 comes in that set of verses when Jesus was answering their second question. The end of time. What's it going to be like, Lord? You'll notice in verse 31 then, Verses 31 to 46 of Matthew 25, Jesus reveals, He describes, He gives a vivid description of the judgment. You'll notice how it begins. The Son of Man sits on His throne in judgment 
All nations are gathered before Him. And then there's a separation. There are those separated just as a shepherd would between sheep and goats. There are those separated on the right. On the other hand, there are those, much like goats, separated on the left. It's then that the Master, the King, the Son of Man, addresses that group on the right. Remember, that's the ones that have been likened unto sheep. He says, you'll notice these beautiful and penetrating words. In fact, you might want to notice the language of verse 34. Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Arguably the sweetest words they will ever have heard. Come, ye blessed, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. These are those you see that are the righteous, the saints, the obedient ones. You'll notice that in the verses that follow, the Lord describes some of what allowed them to be in that category. I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was sick, I was naked, I was in prison, and you tended to me in all the ways that would be proper and right. On the other hand, verse number 40 and 41 brings us to this point. You'll remember that we are in the midst of our discussion he has addressed those on the right. What about those on the left? Verse 41. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. There are a number of opposites between verse 41 and verse 34. Remember, to those on the right, he had said, Come. To those on the left, he said, depart. Just the opposite. These were invited to come near. Those were sent away. Also notice this. Back in verse 34, they were called, ye blessed of my Father. Those in verse 41, ye cursed. Just the opposite. In verse number 34, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Verse 41, Enter into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And there Jesus made careful reference, didn't he, to this prepared place. This place is described in verse number 41. It is with that thought in mind that I would invite you to come near some of the bottom statements on that slide. We've highlighted the major meaning and the, some major ideas present in that particular passage. In verse 46, the closing sentiment is this, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment. That's the ones on the left. Those on the right are described as the righteous, and into eternal life they go. I would invite us over the next few moments, having seen the opening elements of that distinction, to build upon it and even try to appreciate it more thoroughly. What about this prepared place described in verse 41? In fact, why don't we use only verse 41 as our description for the rest of the lesson this morning? Striving to appreciate all that the Lord says in that one verse about this place called hell. I freely confess that hell is not the most popular topic in our society and perhaps it's always been that way. We just don't like to think that much about it. We know enough from what the Bible says that it's terrible and we don't want to go there, but it would be something that would do us all well. And in fact, the entire world to appreciate 
all of what the Lord says in this one verse. A prepared place. Let's begin in the following way. There are many attributes of hell in this one verse. As we notice them, the first one taken in order is this. Depart from me. This opening statement, this opening reality is the first one that captures our attention. Just as surely as those on the right were invited to come, it was a place of nearness to God, a place of nearness to the Master. This play, these on the left were told to depart. Clearly, the emphasis then takes us into this point. Those on the left had enjoyed many blessings throughout the nature of their life, hadn't they? They had walked on the footstool of God. They had eaten food off the planet that He had fashioned. They had understood the sunshine and the rain day by day, all from His bountiful and wonderful hand. But you'll notice now they are told to depart. There was to be an end to the opportunities and the blessings that they had enjoyed. There was to be an end to the nature of all the goodness that had come even indirectly as a result of their existence. There was to be an end to all of that. Doesn't it remind us of some of the thoughts that I've written on that slide? For them, although they might not have admitted it, God had been near. You'll notice that a few verses scattered throughout the Bible remind all of us of the clearness and the reality of such a thought as that one. For instance, in Acts 14, 17, God has given us rain and fruitful seasons. That's all of us, whether we acknowledge Him as the author and giver or not. Are we not told in James 1.17, Behold, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And yet these suddenly find themselves in this predicament. Depart. It's always been an intriguing observation to me. That in Psalm 14, verses 1 and 2, we immediately are told that the fool hath said there is no God. But then the very next verse says, God looks down on the children of men. The very ones who are not willing to acknowledge he exists, God nonetheless looks down upon them. He is aware of their every move and motive, and He is still the one before whom they'll stand in judgment. Interesting, isn't it? The very ones that won't admit he exists, He still looks down upon them. You'll observe that all of this leads us to that last set of conclusions, to point number one. Depart from me. In this life, there are so many blessings that are at least indirectly due to the wonderful hand of God. These now will be removed from that. All the favor that God has bestowed upon them, all the goodness that they heretofore have known, all the favor that has been theirs will be no more. Depart from me, he said, into everlasting fire. One of the initial lessons we see in all that is that hell is real. There are so many articles and so many who write as if hell is a fantasy in a religious person's imagination. But it's real. In this passage, isn't it intriguing that just as surely as verse 34 describes a real place, and that's heaven, that verse 41 describes a real place. The Lord makes no language distinction. It's not that one is real and one is figurative. It's not that one's imaginary and one is actual. 
Both of these places exist. You and I in this flesh recognize that that is a realm beyond this physical one, but it is just as real as it can be. You'll notice that verse 41 leads us to perhaps close that opening thought with Psalm 118, verse 1. In that verse, we read about the goodness of God. These who are on the left have reached their end of experiencing God's goodness. Now the fullness of His wrath will be known, and that brings us to the second observation. What else were they told? Verse 41 says, Depart from me, ye cursed. These are cursed. Earlier we had noted in verse 34 that those on the right were called blessed. They were described as blessed. They were honored by that description. But now in verse 41, those on the left are described as cursed. You might ask some of the things about that word. That word literally means to be doomed, to be accursed. And so often as we think about the word doomed... That carries such a harsh sound to it, doesn't it? The word D in English simply sounds harsh in many ways, but to couple it with a double sequence of O's, doom. That means any hope for future improvement is gone. Any hope for any change in one's artifact is no longer to be enjoyed. Doom, that to be cursed only awaits. And that state in which they are will only get worse. When you think about being doomed, perhaps that leads us to appreciate that this place to which they're sent, this place that is apart from God, is a place apart from every sentiment of blessing He has ever provided. His presence isn't there. All the indirect things He has afforded are not there. No wonder some of these conclusions then directly follow. We live in a very sickening time in many ways. How often have you heard the word hell used in a flippant or trivial fashion? I suspect it has been far more than you can count because that's simply the way society seems to look upon hell. In the mind of many, it's just a place of unpleasantness. It's a place that's less than ideal. It's a place that just isn't as happy as it might be. That doesn't do it justice. It just doesn't. Hell is a place, as we've already learned, that is apart from God. And as we're going to learn later, it is a place far worse than maybe even human language is prepared to describe. Jesus described it in these ways that forewarned us sufficiently. How many individuals have you heard? Perhaps a football player after a ball game. A reporter pushes a microphone into his front of his face and asks, tell me about the game. And he says, it was hell out there. Now really, now really, here's a word being used to describe what may have been a tough game. And it may not have been fun. Maybe his nose is bleeding. Maybe his hand is broken. But I'll assure you it wasn't hell. Or perhaps you hear someone in a country song saying about walking through hell. Really? We already get the idea. This word has been coined and used in such flippant ways that our society has tended to lose its significance. Hell is serious business. It's eternally serious business. We've already learned it's a place completely apart from God. 
And this second one has now described it as a place where the cursed are seen at. Look at some of these thoughts about the cursed. You'll appreciate that disobedience is the key that has led to this observation. Notice again that of which the Lord had spoken. It was they who had not fed the hungry. It was they who had not provided water to the thirsty. It was they who had not taken care of the sick, visited the prison, clothed those that were naked, visited those that in fact were in need. Now many in our world would say, well just because I failed to feed the hungry, does that make me cursed? Jesus said it did. But our world would cover over that and say, well that isn't so bad. That really isn't that serious. But Jesus said that it was. The benevolent aspect of Christianity is on center stage in this passage, isn't it? It's no wonder the work that we do here at Pippin in terms of providing benevolently for those in need is so serious. It is a matter of great interest and it's a matter that shows to the world the love of God that exists within us. Isn't it interesting that as we come near that, look at the way that obedience is highlighted in just a few of these verses. Jesus has said to do these things and they had failed to do it. To you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. 2 Thessalonians 1, beginning in verse 7. We can then easily see that these who were sent into everlasting punishment had not obeyed. In Revelation twenty-two fourteen. Virtually the last page in the Bible. We hear one last time the inspired writer remind us, Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, that they may enter in through the gates into the city. Those not allowed entrance into the city are the ones that did not do His commandments. It is for those reasons that we with eagerness, I'm sure, await the third point. You'll notice even beyond these two, we come to yet another word that Jesus so carefully used. Verse 41 says, Depart from me, cursed, into everlasting fire. That preposition into identifies there was to be a change of venue, a change of location for them. But previously, they'd been in Hades, perhaps, or at least alive here on earth, one or the other. But now he says there is to be a fundamental change. They are to be consigned to a place that is everlasting. Everlasting. This particular word, I'm sure, has often been a source of consideration to all of us. For reasons perhaps at the bottom of that slide. We as humans just simply can't do justice to that which has no limit. We struggle with it mightily. In fact, our students in school struggle with it. Almost every student arrives at the point in a math class when you learn to divide things. You learn to divide 10 by 5 and get 2. You learn to divide 100 by 25 and get 4. But how do you divide by 0? What do you do if you get 0 in a denominator? Suddenly the teacher just has to say, we can't do that. And you're left at that point, all through high school, all through college. You never learn how to divide by zero. 
Functions are described as discontinuous. They carry on other kinds of descriptions, but the point is there's a problem, and we can't fathom it. All the while, that takes us back to a verse like this one. Hell is everlasting. Never does it end. Never does it become less intense. Never does it reach a point of finality. Never does it reach a time when you can say it's over. Never is one allowed out of there. Once one is consigned there, that's it. When you and I think about everlasting, doesn't it remind us that the very God that we worship is in fact a God of infinities in a number of ways. His understanding is said to be infinite in Psalm 147 verse 5. His very existence is said to be infinite in Psalm 90 verse 2. He is described as being from everlasting to everlasting, infinity in both directions. <laughs> That's our God. We now notice that hell is also described with this word everlasting. Isn't it frightening to think about being in there and never able to get out? In this life, you and I are often faced with things that are grievous and things that are unpleasant. For instance, if you get the flu, if you just hang on for about a week, you'll feel better. You know the awfulness is past. By the same token, if you get a broken leg, wear a cast a few months, the pain will subside, and it'll get better. But all of that fails to help us appreciate hell. It'll never get better. Never. And never can you get out of it. Is it any wonder that the characteristic described in Luke 16 reminds us that that rich man that had been consigned to this Hadean realm, all he had to look forward to was only worse than where he was then. And doesn't it help us appreciate then how seriously we must take hell? Are you and I so conducting our life that this is our place of eternal abode? If so, we need to make some changes at once. We don't need to even wait till tomorrow. It needs to be today. For all those reasons, look at some of these considerations on this next slide. Because Jesus wasn't finished. As bad as the description was to this point, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting, the next word he used is fire. The next word the Lord employed was everlasting fire. You'll notice on this slide I've tried to highlight some of the features that no doubt quickly come to mind. Fire is such a hurtful thing, isn't it? When you burn your hand, when you accidentally get burned in a flame or a fire, it is such a penetrating and piercing kind of hurt. It's a pain that is so intense. And yet to think about fire that forever is this way, that's what Jesus said. Is it any wonder that we can at the very least say, hell is no place of pleasantries, and it's not just a place of no misery. In fact, it is a place that might well be described in words Jesus used elsewhere. Mark chapter 9. In verses 43 to 48 of that chapter, we won't read the fullness of it, but the idea will be very clear. It's no doubt something that all of us have reflected on many times. Jesus said, It's better if you've got two eyes and one of them's causing you to offend. You're better off to put that eye out 
and go through life with one eye than to have two to be cast into hell. Jesus said that. As if that wasn't enough, He echoed it two times more. If your hand causes you to offend, you're better off to cut the hand off and go through life with but one hand than to have two to be cast into hell. And then finally He said, If one of your feet's causing you to offend, you're better off to cut off the foot and go through life halt with one foot than to have two to be cast into hell. That's almost unimaginable, isn't it? I'm better off to literally cut my hand off, to pluck my eye out, to cut my foot off. Jesus said, if those things are causing you to stumble, if they're causing you to offend, if they're causing you to be disobedient, then yes, you're better off. That does tell us that this place of everlasting fire is a place that may not be the most comfortable for thinking, but we certainly must be aware of it and to guard and direct our life in such a way that this will not be our eternal abode. Some of those final comments about fire. Doesn't it remind us that there are things here that challenge our thinking so much? This physical body we know is not the body that's going to be sent into eternity. For that body then won't be made of flesh and blood. But nonetheless, apparently it's susceptible to pain. That spiritual body that we will have will be able to experience the nature of what we'd call fire. The Lord said that there's fire here. In the interest of the moment and in the urgency of the time, may we never forget about hell. That does bring us to that fifth point. Jesus had one final thing to say. So far, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. That has covered four elements. The last one is this one. A place, Jesus said, prepared for the devil and his angels. A place prepared for the devil and his angels. Earlier we noticed that those on the right invitingly were invited to come to this place prepared for you from the foundation of the world, this sweet and lovely place. But now we notice that here's a place prepared for the devil and his angels. Perhaps these lead us to these observations. We realize that the devil rebelled. He was one that chose to disobey in the sense of not remaining in the place that he was properly put. Jude verse 6 tells us, that here was one who rebelled against the authority and majesty of God. As he did so, we notice there were some who chose to follow his rebellious trick. We find here that hell was prepared for them. These that rebelled against God, these that chose to thumb their nose at His authority, these that did otherwise, hell was made for them. And that's where they will end up. The Revelation informs us in Revelation 20 verse 10 that in that fantastic description it says that the devil and all those that were with him, including the false prophet, they were cast into a lake burning with fire and brimstone and it was an eternal lake. We notice that description matches this one. But we learn a few verses later that there were others that were also cast into that same place. Not just the devil and not just those angels that rebelled. We learn that disobedient humans also are cast in the same place. 
It's difficult to find the language to describe the thought of these characteristics of eternity in hell. But that's what's before us. Some of these words then beg us to ask these questions. What more does Jesus need to say than this? What more really does He need to describe to forewarn you and me not to end up in a place like this? There are only two possibilities. One is heaven and the other is hell. You and I need to work tirelessly day by day to ensure following the commands of God that heaven is our eternal abode. Because as we've learned this morning, hell is this place described in verse 41 of Matthew 25. Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. It might well be this morning that there's someone in this audience who has been led to think very seriously about your eternal condition. If you pass from this life this afternoon, if you pass from this life this afternoon, Brother Kenny just shared with my family and me earlier today, a lady that we know, 57 years old, someone, faithful member of the church as far as we know, someone looking forward to years of retirement with her beloved husband, Someone looking forward to a time of enjoying the later years of life. And she died the other day. She's now no longer with us. That could be any one of us. Literally, it could. We must be ready to go at any time. And once we leave this life, there's no longer any time for preparation. All the preparation has been made. What does that say about you and me? At this very moment, are you ready? Am I ready? Is your life such that all is well with you? If things today have bothered you in such a way that you're not sure, talk to one of our elders if that's what you need to do, or speak with me. Let us study with you if that's the interest of the moment. Hell is not a trivial business. Brother Jonathan has chosen a hymn of encouragement, and we're going to stand and sing that in just a moment. If you need the prayers of the church over sins that have been known publicly, why not come forward and let us pray for you and let God forgive you of that so that all can be well with you? If you have never become a Christian, today is the day to start. Today's the day to let your name be put in the book of life. Today's the day. Hell is eternal and it is serious. If we can help you today in your response to the gospel call of invitation, please, in urgency, let us do that while together we stand and while we sing.